Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing research and development in Northern Ireland and with me to discuss that is Professor Jerry McKenna, Senior Vice President of the Royal Irish Academy. Professor McKenna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you Gavin, I'm delighted to talk to you. So the UK government has recently published the R&D roadmap with recommendations to use some new funds as part of the overall levelling up agenda. How does public and private sector research and development in Northern Ireland compare with other nations and regions within the UK? Well, as the report, the Nesta report on uh, the missing four billions uh, and uh, the various presentations by Richard Jones have indicated, uh, Northern Ireland is actually performing well in terms of the percentage of its overall R&D spending that's coming from the private sector, 74% relative to the total. But we're also the lowest in terms of government and research council contributions across all UK regions. So the levelling up agenda is particularly pertinent in Northern Ireland and we welcome it hugely. So what's driven the increase, I guess, in private sector R&D in Northern Ireland over the last recent years? Well, I would have to give credit here, I think, to the Department for the Economy in having in place a consistent grant support scheme and mechanism for R&D in the private sector. And that has certainly encouraged them to spend more uh, in that direction. I would also say that uh, the growth of R&D spending in the Republic of Ireland, our, our nearest neighbour, has also undoubtedly had an impact, as has some firms moving from the south to the north. Uh, so the culture, I think, it, towards R&D spending by business has been pushed upwards in that sense, uh, even though it's not nearly as high as we would want it to be. And are there sort of particular examples of industry sectors that are strongly investing in R&D in, in the north of Ireland? Well, historically, the, the uh, advanced manufacturing uh, has spent uh, considerable amounts of money in R&D uh, in Northern Ireland. We're looking here at, uh, for example, the aerospace and uh, polymer sector. Uh, the life sciences have been growing substantially, uh, food processing and more recently and growing hugely has been uh, the digital sector, uh, which have been spending lots of money. And, and we've also a very growing interest in cybersecurity. So those are the areas where I think most of the R&D spending has been occurring. And you mentioned a growth in R&D spending in Republic of Ireland. Are those the same sectors that are strong there? What's, what's the link now between R&D in the Republic and R&D in the North of Ireland? I think increasingly we have an all-island economy and the same sectors are being pursued and developed north and south. But obviously the funding mechanisms are different and they're not joined up perhaps as well as they ought to be. But I, I think the sectors are, are pretty similar, to be honest. Uh, and uh, it's one of the areas where I think there's great scope for future greater cooperation uh, north and south in terms of how the administrations work together to support research and development on an all-island basis, because uh, uh, Ireland's relatively small, people move north and south off the border, and uh, there are opportunities, I think, to do a lot more jointly. 
we will explore that in a little bit. But obviously, at the moment, a lot of funding for R&D within the UK isn't funded on a devolved basis, but actually is funded on a UK national basis. Why do you think it is that Northern Ireland has been less successful in obtaining funds for this public sector R&D on a UK national basis than it has in, in obtaining funds for private sector R&D? Well, I think there are a number of factors. The first thing to say is that 99% uh, of all the business in Northern Ireland are SMEs. And in relation to national funding initiatives, which involve matching funds, they don't necessarily have a great deal of surplus funds at their disposal. I would also say that uh, Invest Northern Ireland, which has been supporting those SMEs, has undoubtedly provided some funding to help them. So that may have displaced some of their efforts to uh, engage in, in national activities. But there's also, I think, to be perfectly honest, some degree of uh, lack of knowledge, perhaps ignorance of the funds and the schemes that are available within the SME sector. Uh, and that uh, undoubtedly has been, has been a factor as well. So that would cover the D part of research and development. What's the situation with Northern Ireland universities and accessing, for example, funds from UK research and innovation? Again, that is uh, relatively low. If you were to relate the performance of the Northern Ireland universities in the research excellence framework, and their performance in obtaining funding from research councils, it's lower than you would expect. So that is an issue that needs to be uh, addressed. And uh, that's why we would welcome the initiative in terms of uh, levelling up, because clearly I think that uh, the national bodies do need to take more account of place than they have previously. And I think encouraging the places to be more involved in those national funding initiatives uh, as well. Uh, but certainly we're performing less well in terms of obtaining national funding than our research performance in our universities would suggest we are entitled. So let's try and pull out a little bit how this might work. The, the UK government's looking to make significant increases in public R&D over the coming years, including, as we were talking, this funding for levelling up. What's the best mechanism for allocating that money in Northern Ireland? Is it devolving money to the Northern Ireland executive? Is it more funding through UKRI, but with a more stronger regional uh, element to it? What would you say? Well, this is something we've thought a great deal about in the National Academies, I have to say. Uh, and ideally, we would believe that the funding should be devolved to the regions, but it should be ring-fenced. And the worry always is that in a devolved situation where there are pressures on schools and hospitals and various other things, that uh, funding for research doesn't attract quite the same public support as certain other funding activities. So if it's not ring-fenced, the danger would be that it could be rated at a moment of, of financial difficulty for a local executive. So we think it should be rigged fenced, but I think we do need a local coordinating body or mechanism for looking at the whole area of research funding, both in the private and public sector in Northern Ireland. 
and also tied in with, I, I think, the overall coordination of the universities because we have not had really proper oversight of our higher education sector in Northern Ireland for quite a while. Does a body like that exist or would it need to be set up? It doesn't exist and I think it would need to be set up and, and bring the best brains, not just from Northern Ireland but outside, who uh, could help and assist in, in allowing, and develop, allowing Northern Ireland to develop its long-term strategy based on what its expertise, its capabilities are, what makes sense for the region, and of course, in the context of its all-island dimension and its UK dimension, uh, there are issues there that are quite important. But I, I do think there needs to be some degree of coordination locally that we've not had previously. I assume that, as well as money within the R&D framework for levelling up, UKRI would maintain its role for funding excellence across the piece wherever it finds it is there a need for greater coordination with ukri or greater representation of northern ireland interests within ukri yes and i think that's not just northern ireland i mean i think that applies to other regions uh, wales and, and scotland and perhaps even the north of england you know, need to be in there, uh, need to be bringing their particular perspectives to the table. That's not, of course, to say that uh, UKRI should fund research that's not excellent. It, uh, it, it should continue in that particular role. But I think there is an obligation to seek to ensure that there is a, a more sensible allocation or an allocation based on what I mentioned earlier, which was based on the performance in, in research and the research excellent frameworks, uh, you'd expect there would be a better correlation than perhaps we're seeing at the moment. We'll have to see how that goes. I'm going to move away slightly from the R&D framework to talk about Brexit. Now, obviously, obviously Brexit's a major issue in Northern Ireland for a whole host of reasons, but what specifically would you say were the Brexit implications for research and development in Northern Ireland? Well, I think the downsides are fairly apparent and they're not, again, just confined to Northern Ireland. Obviously, uh, the possible loss of involvement in Erasmus. And interestingly, Northern Ireland, unlike the UK as a whole, is a net exporter of students through Erasmus and, and activities. And given the relatively homogeneous nature of our population and our student population, that is particularly important because that brings a dimension to Northern Ireland, which is particularly valuable. Obviously, Horizon 2020, we would want to be involved in that. We've had involvement in the past. But I suppose the bigger, biggest concern probably is the potential loss, uh, or the actual loss of EU structural funds and what might replace those. Uh, the structural funds have been extremely important for Northern Ireland, actually more important in terms of supporting research than framework funds in building capacity. And if we look at some of our strongest research areas, I'm thinking of uh, cybersecurity in Belfast, uh, nanotechnology, bioengineering, I think of nutrition at uh, Coleraine. Those were all developed through substantial funding through the structural funds to the point where they're now actually winning substantial funds through framework funding, UKRI and, and otherwise. And that would not have happened without those funds. So the worry is uh, what replaces structural funds 
and how they're allocated and the need to not just continue with capacity building but recognise that we need to develop new areas as well. Uh, and that would not be done normally from straightforward UKRI mechanisms of funding. So what should the UK do to replace EU structural funds? What does a, a UK replacement for that look like? Well, as I, I think it should be uh, devolved. Uh, I think it should be at least as large as the structural funds were previously. I think it probably should be ring-fenced. And this is where I think the dialogue with uh, uh, UKRI uh, is important as well, because it, it feeds ultimately into the long-term strategy for UKRI. So it should be devolved, but it should be, I think, overseen by the type of coordinating body that I mentioned earlier, and not simply uh, you know, devolved without any strings attached. It, it needs to be reserved for particular activities in terms of building research capacity, and that has proved hugely positive for Northern Ireland. I know it's been even more important for Wales, but it's been extremely important here. Mm. So other than this replacement for EU structural funds, what steps does the UK government need to do to sort of minimise some of the potential downsides of Brexit? Well, uh, uh, obviously, uh, one of the most important ones would be that we remain in the EU framework program uh, and that the UK is part of that and continues to be part of that because there are certain types of research for example which uh, have been promoted and developed through framework funds which cannot be done simply on a national basis uh, and so that's hugely important. Uh, I think the idea of uh, encouraging other schemes and mechanisms to build other international relationships uh, and uh, joint activities uh, would also be uh, extremely welcome. And uh, I've just mentioned the structural funds as being particularly uh, important. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to have to be inventive and agile in, in uh, moving forward in a, in a situation post-Brexit, even irrespective of whether we are part of the next uh, framework programme or not. But it, uh, I think... You know, most of the academic community, certainly in Northern Ireland, I think across the whole of the UK, would very much want to be part of that uh, and continue with that hugely successful uh, international collaborative activity and ideally extend it to other countries where we could equally have useful uh, interactions. Uh, I mean, one thing we developed in, in the Irish context was uh, the uh, US-Ireland uh, R&D Alliance, uh, which involves uh, science, uh, health and agri agriculture. It was a very painstakingly developed exercise, I have to say. Uh, and interestingly, one of the most attractive aspects from the Americans' point of view was the fact that we were in Europe uh, in, in that development. But uh, that has worked extremely well. Uh, and uh, it's based on excellence. Uh, it's uh, uh, it, it certainly has increased research capacity in, in, in Ireland and there, I think there's scope for that on a UK-wide basis uh, with other countries, including the United States. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. Obviously, the detailed conversations between the UK government and the EU are ongoing and uh, UK participation in the framework is, is wrapped up into that. 
it's almost impossible to have an interview with anyone without talking a little bit at least about coronavirus. So what's been the effect on Northern Irish R&D from the current coronavirus pandemic? Well, obviously, it, it's had a hugely negative impact on the universities, R&D and, and activities there, and also with uh, SMEs uh, generally. But uh, the information I have is, is that uh, a number of firms have actually been increasing activities in R&D over the period, particularly with a view to developing new markets post-COVID and uh, seeing new opportunities. It varies between the sectors, of course. Aerospace has been hit particularly hard. On the other hand, the digital sector seems to be thriving and growing. So it's been up and down. There are huge changes resulting from all this, which will impact in the short term, but many in the long term. So it has been variable, but uh, obviously hugely negative on the university sector. Yeah, yeah. And that's true across uh, the rest of the UK as well, I'm sure. I know that the Royal Irish Academy have been working with colleagues in Wales and in Scotland to develop the Celtic Academies network. I wondered if you could say a little bit about how that work is developing, particularly in relation to the R&D roadmap. Well, uh, the first thing to say is, of course, the, the National Academies of Ireland and Wales and Scotland have been working closely with the other sister academies across the UK as part of the seven uh, academies network. And that's been very successful and that continues. But obviously there, there were issues developing in relation to devolution, how devolution was operating in the different countries, the different regions, issues relating to decisions being taken in Whitehall and Westminster, which had knock-on effects for the regions which were not fully thought through. And uh, it was felt that that, along with the natural affinities that the, the three countries and regions have and, and collaborations that already exist, meant that it made a lot of sense to deal, uh, to, to join together in, in the Celtic Academies Alliance, as we call it. And obviously Brexit's another particular issue because uh, that affects particularly the, those regions. So we've been working there on issues to do with structural funds, etc. So that, that has been uh, a major concern. And uh, we've been looking at ways of, of uh, working together, but also ways of influencing our local uh, assemblies, our local uh, executives, learning from each other and collectively also uh, seeking to influence what is decided at Westminster and at, uh, at, uh, in, in Whitehall. And so that's basically the background to the, uh, the Celtic Academies uh, Alliance. Now, in relation to the R&D roadmap, all of the academies welcome the, the roadmap in terms of the, the levelling up agenda. And the feeling was, and I think it's shared by uh, Bayes, is that the academies have tremendous convening powers. They're very representative of the uh, academic and research community across all areas. They're also honest brokers in the sense that uh, they favor no one institution over another or one region over another. And they have considerable credibility and independence. So they have an ability to penetrate uh, thinking in a way that maybe government doesn't always have. 
and also to penetrate thinking within their particular jurisdictions and, and local governments, that uh, local executives, that again may not be easy for a national body to do. So I think the, the academies are seen as uh, being important in developing and communicating the roadmap and, uh, and hopefully bringing wise counsel to Bayes in what's the best way to do it in the particular regions because notwithstanding the regional dimensions, there are different regions. And within those regions, there are also differences uh, which need to be looked at. And, and uh, the academies, I think, have that expertise and credibility, which is helpful in this. Uh, and uh, we've no extra grind other than simply to do what's best for uh, encouraging research and development and, and uh, what's good for everyone. Well, it's certainly an interesting time with a lot going on. And uh, I, I wish you well in pulling those things together. Just finally, I'm pulling you back into Northern Ireland. What would you say the priorities are uh, over the next 12 to 18 months for the, the Royal Irish Academy for engaging both the UK administrations, but also the Northern Ireland administrations? Well, I think more or less straightforwardly, our priority would be to encourage and support and input to the promotion of North-South and East-West collaboration, that is, collaboration between Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic, uh, which we've been doing for a long time anyway, but uh, we're particularly proactive in, in more recent years, but also encouraging increased interaction, collaboration, cooperation between Ireland and the UK in research and, and higher education. Uh, notwithstanding the current difficulties posed by Brexit, the assumption is that we will move through this at some stage and that uh, the alliances, the, the natural affinities that exist between Ireland and the UK will be built upon again and encouraged. And there's enormous scope for doing that, uh, particularly in relation to research and development and higher education. And uh, uh, of course, there's the Northern Ireland issue, which is a slightly unique situation in terms of its relationship with the EU and the United Kingdom. And I think there's a real opportunity there to uh, encourage those types of cooperations, collaborations in an inventive and synergistic way. Certainly, of course, the, the academic communities, the research communities want to work together as they always do across all boundaries and borders and notwithstanding political difficulties. And I would have thought that from the point of view of the UK government and the Irish government, as they want to move forward cooperatively and collaboratively in the future, there's no area that could be most easily managed and perhaps yield so much as cooperation in higher education and research in a fairly non-controversial way. So that's a big priority for the academy. We're also looking at the whole issue of the future, higher education futures, post-COVID, post what's happening in the world, how the models of higher education are going to change, again in relation particularly to North-South cooperation uh, and, and so on. And we're also looking at uh, ways of increasing international partnerships along the line I mentioned earlier, such as the US Island R&D partnership. We had uh, envisaged at an earlier stage that that would also extend to social sciences and humanities, and perhaps that may yet uh, emerge. And I think we can bring things to the table in terms of how to promote and, and develop these international collaborations, which uh, are absolutely essential for all of us. 
It's a great program of activity and I wish you well. Professor McKenna, thank you very much. Thank you, Gail. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, my guest was Professor Jerry McKenna, Senior Vice President of the Royal Irish Academy. You can find all our podcasts, all our blogs and information about all our events on the website at www.foundation.org.uk. Next week, my guest will be Elizabeth Crowley from the Chartered Institute for Personal Development and will be discussing skills resilience.